Hello, good morning to you. My name is Matt Howell. I am one of the pastors here at Redeemer. So thankful that you would choose to hang out with us this morning. And uh, I wanna welcome you really regardless of where you are as you join us this morning. If you are joining us from a place of joy or a place of sorrow, a place of belief or a place of a lot of questions and you don't know what you think about things and it's weird that you would find yourself participating in something like this, Really, wherever you find yourself, we're thankful to have you with us here at Redeemer. Well, what is Redeemer? If you're new, Redeemer is a church, and what that means is we're a community of people, and we're trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And the way we go about trying to do that is we gather together each week like this, online and in person, down the street, so that we could worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that we might rest in His love for us. And then throughout the week, we get together individually and we get together in people's homes and backyards and living rooms uh, so that we might remind one another of his love for us. And then as we rest in his love and remind one another of his love, we delight to spread throughout Midtown in service so that together we might reflect his love because we, we dream of seeing our city flourishing anew through the redemptive love of Jesus. So that's a little bit about who we are. We're, we're a community of people. We're trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And in order to help us do that this fall, what we're doing is we're looking at the sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically Jesus's description of what happens when a community of people start to submit to Jesus as their king. And in the passage that was just read for you, Jesus takes on the issue of justice. If you look at verse 20 at the end there, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, blah, blah, blah. But the word righteousness is actually the same word in Greek that is elsewhere translated justice. See, in English, we have two words for it. We have righteousness, we have justice. But in the original language in which the New Testament was written, Greek, that word is actually just one word. It's, it's, it's the word that could be translated in two different ways. And so Jesus in this passage is laying out for us what a life of justice or righteousness looks like. Now, I think this is super relevant because obviously in our day and age, that word justice is charged. It's kind of a loaded term, racial justice, social justice. Everybody is, is having conversations and wrestling with how do we order our society rightly? How do we relate to one another in a right way? And, and Jesus begins to address this topic in this passage, not, not exhaustively by any means, um, but the reason why he begins to address it is because in Jesus's ministry up to this point, he has been hanging out with people that the Bible calls tax collectors and sinners, which is a, basically a group of people that the rest of society would have totally rejected, totally blackballed. I was trying to think of what would be like a modern equivalent of this, and, and the best that I could come up with would be, this would be like Jesus having dinner at someone's house who is registered as a sex offender. Or this would be like Jesus um, hanging out with people that are overt racists. Or Jesus going to a party with people that are, that are substance abusers. Or um, Jesus grabbing coffee with you know, criminals, people that are actually breaking the law. And so for people that 
cared about order, you know, decent, um, uh, church-going, law-abiding people, this was very upsetting because they looked at Jesus interacting with people like this and they thought, are you endorsing that behavior? Are those the kind of lifestyles that you're saying you're okay with? What kind of justice are you advocating if there are no rules, if anybody can just do whatever they want to do? And so that was the question that Jesus got. And so Jesus lays out for us in this passage what a life of justice is supposed to look like. And so what I want to do with you this morning is first look at what it's not and then look at what it is. What it's not, what it is. So first, what it's not. Jesus talks about what a life of justice is by contrasting it against two different false alternatives. And I want to look at these one at a time. The first false alternative is that he's basically saying justice is not just do whatever you want to do. That's the first alternative of what it's not. Justice is not do whatever you want. Here's where I get this from. Look at verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. Now, stop there. The law and the prophets were kind of a shorthand way of referring to the Old Testament. Essentially, God's moral intentions for people. And so people got the impression that Jesus didn't care about God's law because he was hanging out with lawbreakers. And so Jesus is correcting their misunderstanding here and saying, no, 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 no. I really care about God's law. I have not come to oppose it. I am not standing in opposition to God's law. I'm for it. And in fact, look at what he says in the next verse. Look at 18. He says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, an iota or a yoda is, is the smallest letter of a Greek alphabet. It's like a little lowercase letter I. And when he says not an iota, not a dot, a dot was a technical term to kind of refer to the little line that distinguishes letters one from another. So if you think about like a capital letter P and then there's like that little line that distinguishes it from the capital letter R, That little thing, that's a dot. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's basically saying God's moral intentions, which are found in the Bible, are absolutely authoritative all the way down to the smallest detail, down to the smallest letter. It's all in force. And in fact, this is his point in verse 19. If you look at verse 19, he says, even what you might consider the least important of all of God's laws, it must absolutely be obeyed. Okay, you put verse 17 and 18 and 19 together. What's he saying? He's saying God's law is still in force. All of it matters. All of it must be obeyed. Therefore, real justice, a life of justice can't be, well, just do whatever you want. Now, Jesus sounds hyper-fundamentalistic to us here, right? Because, you know, he's directly challenging our modern culture. Our culture believes, well, you should be free to do whatever you want to do. I have the freedom to do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want. And because we're not you know, barbarians, we throw in that little condition at the end, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. 
That's what we believe in our kind of modern context. No one has the right to tell me how to live my life. It's my life. What's, what's right for me might not be right for you. So you do you. Let me do me. This is why we have advertisements like from Outback Steakhouse that says, no rules, just right. You know, Levi original says, do your own thing. Here's another, here's another advertisement. Choose your own path. That's Nissan. And even JCPenney, which kind of sounds, which kind of feels like it's like an old school company at this point. One of their advertisements recently was, be a rebel, make your own rules. And that resonates with us at some degree because, you know, as Americans, we prize freedom. We prize liberty. Nobody has the right to tell us what we should do or what we can't do. What I find interesting, though, is I think the past few years in our, in our current cultural moment, it has exposed how bankrupt that way of living actually is. I mean, if you think about it, what is the source behind sexual assault? The heart behind sexual assault is someone saying, I want to do what's best for me. I mean, the, the evil that the Me Too movement is responding to is because men in power were just doing what they wanted to do. They were actually just following through with, with the code that our culture is, has been telling them to do. Uh, what do you think is the source behind racial injustice? The source behind racial injustice is someone in power said, I want to do what is right for me. And so for centuries, white people justified kidnapping and enslaving and raping and torturing and murdering people of color. And we set up systems where it only benefits me and people that look like me, just people doing what they want to do. I mean, it's the same reason behind why women typically get paid less than men for doing the same job. It's the same reason behind why, uh, why there's child abuse. It's the same reason behind adultery. In fact, all forms of injustice can be traced back to this instinct in the heart, which is, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what is best for me. And Jesus is saying, real justice is not that. A life of justice isn't just do whatever you want to do. He's saying the law of God actually matters. God actually cares and has opinions and expectations for how we are to live our life. So that's the first contrast. Real justice isn't just do whatever you want to do. But the second contrast, the other false alternative that he starts to go after is this. Real justice is not follow all the rules. Real justice isn't do whatever you want, and real justice isn't follow all the rules. Look at verse 20. Here's where I get this from. For I tell you, unless your righteousness or justice exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, scribes and Pharisees were like the Navy SEALs of being religious. They fasted twice a week. I fasted like twice in my life. In fact, it tells you in the Bible that they tithed everything that they had, even down to their spices. Like there's verses in the Bible that talk about how like, <laughs> they would literally go to their like spice cabinet and take out 10% of their paprika 
and donate it to the church. 10% of the cumin and the oregano and give it to the church. Hyper devoted, hyper committed to the rules. And Jesus looks at you and me and he says, if you even want to enter the kingdom, your righteousness has to exceed that. Not just match that, get up to that level. It has to go past that. Now, how does that make any sense? The reason why Jesus says that your righteousness, your, your life of justice has to exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes is because what they have is not real righteousness in the first place. A life of justice does not look like just a rigid, cold, mechanical commitment to following rules, which is what they were doing. Let's use me as an example. When I was in college, my sophomore year of college, I came back from a summer trip with a ministry to a beach. Beach trip for the summer, uh, came back my sophomore year, very kind of zealous, very religious, very intense, ready to get going. And so for that sophomore year, I made a list of resolutions, a list of goals. And I actually have this written down in a journal somewhere. But here's what it said on my journal of all of my goals for my sophomore year. I had to read my Bible every day. I had to pray for at least 30 minutes a day. I had to share the gospel with at least one person a day. I vowed to only listen to worship music. I threw away all of my secular stuff. I got rid of my TV because I believe real Christians don't waste their time watching garbage on a screen. And I made the goal that I wanted to be an overseas missionary. Overseas because that was more spiritual than just being a you know, a Christian here in the States. It mattered more if you could be an overseas missionary. And me and my three um, guy friends, we had an accountability group that we would meet every Thursday morning. And we made this commitment where we would confess if one of us had messed up that week sexually or in some form of lust, then all of us would, would wake up the next morning at like 5 a.m. and run laps around our college campus. That was me my sophomore year of college. None of you would have been friends with me at that point in my life. But here's the point. On the outside, you would have looked in and said, man, that guy's really religious. That guy is really serious. That guy is really trying to follow God with everything in him. And yet, if you were to just peel one layer back, just peel one layer and just see what is underneath the hood, as it were, what was underneath the surface was anger, was fear, was insecurity, was pride, was self-righteousness, was competitiveness, was this fear of being found out. And so I had you know, secret things going on privately that I could let nobody, you know, it was just a mess. It was a mess. And Jesus is saying, I don't want that. I don't want that. That's not what justice looks like, like following all these rules on the outside when internally it has no impact on your actual heart. This is great news, actually, I think, if, if you're not a Christian. Because Jesus is telling us smug, self-righteous Christians have it wrong. He is saying to cold-hearted religious people, all of your efforts, trying to keep the rules, trying to climb up your way to heaven, trying to impress God and impress everybody else with how awesome you are and how devoted you are and how good you are and how right you are, Jesus is saying that is not Christian. He's saying, I don't want that. That is not justice. That is not a life of justice. So you see how Jesus is this um, equal opportunity offender here. He, he, is, he is critiquing uh, two sides of the culture, both then and now. He is saying a life of justice is not being religious and just 
following all the rules mechanically, externally. And a life of justice isn't being not religious either, where you're just doing whatever you want. Which kind of raises the question, okay, then what is it? If it's not this and it's not this, then like, is it follow some of the rules? Like, what is it? It, 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 it seems like if you're either keeping all the rules or breaking all the rules, there's not a third option. So what is it? Well, let's look at it. Let's look at what justice is. And to get at that, we have to go, kind of go back to the beginning. So look a little bit more closely at verse 17. Here's what he says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He is saying, I haven't come to get rid of the law. I've come to fulfill the law. Fulfill literally means to fill it up to the full. I mean, if you think about the old story, Cinderella. You know, she's at some ball and uh, as the story goes, and she ducks out before midnight, but she leaves behind her glass slipper. Which, by the way, how uncomfortable would a glass slipper be? I mean, can you imagine the blisters that a glass slipper would, would cause on your foot? Anywho, she leaves behind this glass slipper, and, you know, the, the, the Prince Charming or whoever finds the glass slipper and, it, and it's, it's like this perfect mold of her foot. And so he's got to go around and find and test out all these different feet to see who it fits to see who this woman was. And of course, foot after foot after foot after foot doesn't fit until it eventually he finds Cinderella and her foot fits the mold and it fills it up to the full. Now, in the same way, it's like the law comes as this mold, as this template, and it is demanding perfection. Jesus summarized the whole law in this way. He said the whole law could be summarized like this, for you to love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind, which is another way of saying to love God with the totality of your being. Everything that you do, your thought life, your emotional life, your financial life, your sexual life, all of it is given over in, 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 a, in a bigger desire for who God is. Love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? To love your neighbor as yourself means that you meet the needs of your neighbor with the same amount of energy and creativity and urgency that you meet your own needs. To love your neighbor as yourself means that you go about meeting the needs of your neighbor with the same amount of creativity and urgency and energy that you use to meet your own needs. That's the law in a summary. Perfectly love God, perfectly love your neighbor. And like Cinderella, it's like, here's this mold. Who in the world can fit into this? There's no way you and I can fit into this. None of us can, even though it is actually what we were designed to do. But here comes Jesus. And his life is a life of perfectly fitting into that mold. He fulfills it. He fills it up. He perfectly loves God with all that he is, and he perfectly loves his neighbor as himself, and he doesn't mess up once. A lot of Christians know that Jesus died for you, but did you also know that he lived for you? He fulfilled the law's demands for you. There are a lot of people that claim to be Christians, and they are exhausted. They're discouraged. They feel guilty all the time, angry at themselves. I can't stop lusting. I can't stop losing my temper. I can't stop doing this. And yet, 
even though you can't stop messing up, you feel all this pressure to keep performing, to keep up the act. I've got to stay on. I've got to, I've got to be good. I've got to keep trying hard. I've got to read another book. I've got to listen to another podcast. If that's you, I've got good news for you. Because Jesus says, I did not come to make you feel that way. I didn't come to put weight on your shoulders. I came to take it off. I didn't come to give you more law. I didn't come to just give you more busy work that you're going to fail at. I came to do it for you. I came to fulfill all of it for you. Now, if you were to receive what Jesus has done for you by faith and actually let what he has done for you kind of get into your bones, as it were, what would that produce in you? What, what would happen in you if you actually started to believe that Jesus has done it all for you? Well, consider this. When I was in high school, my dad um, got tickets to go see the Dallas Mavericks. I lived in Dallas. I grew up in Dallas, Texas. And because of my dad's work, he got tickets to go to, to his, his company's corporate box to go watch a Dallas Mavericks game, a game, and he gave me and a friend his passes for the evening. So me and my buddy, we drive down to the arena and we get in, and and you know all of the all the peons are going to like the you know the the bad seats, and we're we're going up to security, you know the, the the halls that they don't let anybody else by, and we show them the badge, VIP pass, bam, we go past it, we go right through the hallway, get into the corporate box which I just remember, you know, as a high schooler, it had these, you know, it was an amazing view. You're right there on the, on, you know, on the, on the court, as it were. Uh, they had these big, comfortable, kind of squashy chairs, buffet of food. I think I had like six Cokes that night because like free drinks. It's like, I'm just going to drink as much Coke as I can. Um, they had uh, television screens set up in kind of this cool little lounge area, which I don't know why you would want to watch TV when, when you were at the game, but I guess that was a thing. But anyway, um, we had an awesome time that night, me and my friend. And because I was there kind of representing my dad, I dressed up a little bit. I, you know, uh, for me, it was like wearing a polo shirt. That was like dressing up for me. But, I, you know, I didn't want to roll in and like flip-flops and, uh, you know, a tank top, which I totally could have, but because I had my dad's badge, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to represent him well. I wanted to honor my dad because I love my dad. Now, here's the point. Nobody in their right mind would think, oh, you got access to that corporate box because you dressed up. No. The only reason why I got access to the corporate box was because of the credentials of my father. I did nothing. He did everything. But... Because I love my dad, and because I wanted to honor my dad, I dressed up. I, I did some things because I was representing him. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, you get into the kingdom purely on the basis of his credentials, purely on the basis of what he has done. He is the one who makes you just because he gives you his justice, his righteousness. And now, does that mean you just do whatever you want? Sweet, I can do whatever I want now. No, you dress up. Not to earn his acceptance, not to earn access, you already have it. You dress up because you want to honor your father. You want to, you want to um, represent him well. Here's what happened. Here's the dynamic. 
When you see the law of God and you say, there's no way I can love God or my neighbor like that, it humbles you to the dust. But then when you see Jesus fulfill it all for you, it it injects you with deep joy, deep gratitude. And then you say, well, in response to being loved like this, I am going to try to love my father. I'm going to try to love my neighbor as myself. And it's going to be messy and I'm going to need a lot of grace, but I'm going to seek to do it. You see the dynamic? Humility, joy, gratitude, devotion, obedience, kindness. That is the life of justice that Jesus is looking for. A life that actually penetrates and hits you at the heart. That's what Jesus is working in us. Don't you see? That is so different from just do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. That is so different from I got to follow all the rules, which actually just makes you more prideful and more angry of a person. Jesus is working a life of justice in us so that would be poured out into a life of justice for God and for our neighbor. But it begins with Jesus. It begins with him being your everything, him being your sufficiency, him being your righteousness, him being the one that makes you just. It begins with Jesus. Consider that an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray. Father, I do pray that you would work your love and your justice deeper into our own hearts so that our our very insides would be transformed as we see our king fulfilling the very demands of the law on our behalf. Would that transform us into the kind of people that are humble, that are grateful, that that are wise, that are kind, that are committed to loving you and our neighbor? Only you can do this in us, so please do it. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen.